Wednesday, April 10th, 2019. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim, Chet, Chesco. Hey, Chet, said it last week. We'll say it again this week, probably every week this season. This Phillies team is really good, but... The bullpen has some early season issues, and we'll talk about that. I'm not sure if the Sixers are limping into the playoffs or what. Um, I'm not even sure what to think about them, especially with the news today that no starters are playing. The Flyers are out of their misery as their disappointing season came to an end. The NFL draft is fast approaching, and the Virginia Cavaliers are the national champions. Yeah, Bill, congrats to Virginia. What a turnaround from last year's tournament. The Sixers, well, they have me quite a bit concerned with the playoffs just a few days away. The 7-3 and three Phillies are in first place, but there are some pitching questions, as you alluded to. We're going to address that later on. And as for the Flyers, Bill, forgive me, but I have to do this. Turn out the lights. <laughs> the party's over. <laughs> there you and go. It was, and it wasn't a good ending either. That, that's for sure. Well, hey, Chet, we have a couple great guests tonight. I am really excited to talk to our first guest that is not only a lifelong basketball man, but an amazing man as well, Pat Williams. Our second guest will be talking NBA playoffs. Philly.com Sixer reporter Sarah Todd will be joining us as well. You know, Sarah is great, and she'll help us get ready for the postseason. Lots of questions about the Sixers. As you said, they're kind of limping in the playoffs, but... Speaking of great, yeah, Pat Williams. I think he's on the line, too, so wait to hear this buildup I'm going to give him. For people who may not know, he's something of a legend. Born in Philly, raised in Wilmington, played minor league baseball in the Phillies organization, worked for several NBA teams, including the 76ers, putting that 1983 championship team together. Helped bring the magic to Orlando a few years later. He's a sports marketing genius. He's completed more than 50 marathons, written 100 books. He's in seven different Hall of Fames, maybe eight by now, including the Basketball Hall of Fame. I could go on, but to say the least, Pat Williams is pretty amazing, and he's somehow found some time to join us tonight with his magic playing the game in an hour that will determine who they'll meet in the postseason. It could be the Sixers. You can't make this stuff up, Bill. Well, unbelievable, and uh, i tell you what, it's an absolute thrill to have Pat joining us, and uh, Jet, great lead-in, and, and Pat, welcome to Philly Press Box Radio. Uh, we're really excited to have you with us. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, always nice to check in uh, back on the home front for me, and uh, yes, uh, the playoffs are right around the corner. Uh, lots of interest in all these different communities, including here in Orlando, uh, where uh, in the last few days, we've surged and made the playoffs, which is a big deal down here. Now we're waiting to find out who we're going to play and when the dates are. Yeah, Pat, this is Chet, and you said it right. Your team has really done it in style here, going 21-9 and over the last 30 games, heading into tonight's season finale in Charlotte. What's behind the turnaround? It's a great question. Obviously, you have to give a lot of credit to Coach Steve Clifford, uh, he seems to have really connected with this group. I think they're playing uh, together, uh, maybe better than ever. Uh, they're sharing the ball well. And I think they have begun to believe that they're a good team and that they're capable of uh, doing some good things in the spring. Some of these guys are having career years. Uh, that sure helps. And uh, by and large, uh, we've been injury-free. We've had a few. Uh, but by and large, we've been able to uh, keep our team on the floor, which in this league, as you know, 
and it makes a huge difference. Pat, I've always been a fan of Nick Vucevic, the former Sixer. Aaron Gordon has been solid. Terrence Ross coming off the bench. So what is the outlook for the postseason? Who do you want to play? Do you want to play the Raptors, the Bucks, or the 76ers? Well, that's a great question. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody uh, has opinions on that. But I think always you want to finish as high, excuse me, as high in the standings as you can. That would mean trying to get to the sixth spot. If that was the case, we'd open with Philly. But there's so many moving parts tonight. You know, you just can't uh, determine until about, uh, oh, I don't know, I guess about 10.30 or so tonight how it's all going to play out. If we finish seven, we'd open with Toronto. And if we drop to eight, uh, we'd open with Milwaukee. So one of those three teams will be our opponent, but so much to be decided in the next three and a half hours. Well, hey, Pat, as you look forward to the playoffs, the Bucks are a, a pretty good team, obviously, with 60 wins, Toronto with 58. Then it, then it kind of batches up a little bit there with the Sixers with 50. Uh, are the, are the, do you see the Bucks and the Raptor, Raptors actually being steps ahead of everybody else, or you think uh, this is a pretty evenly matched Eastern Conference? Well, listen, they, they are. You know, you play 82 games uh, over the course of, what, six months or so? And that's enough games to determine uh, who the best teams in the league are. You know, they've earned, earned the right to be where they are. So uh, you'd have to say the uh, Bucks are the preeminent team in the league at this point. Toronto uh, close behind. The Warriors, of course, are in a whole different stratosphere. We aren't even uh, paying attention to what's going on in the Western Conference uh, over on this side of the Mississippi. We don't even think about them. Uh, but there are three eminent teams uh, in this side, counting Philly, and Boston is close behind, and you can't minimize Indiana. Uh, Those first five teams in this league are all, in this conference, they're all very, very good, very competitive, and you can't uh, can't count on anything once the playoffs hit. Pat, I love the NBA playoffs. I can't wait for them to start up this weekend. We'll see how it goes. But I want to go back in time a bit to your days as the 76ers GM, 1974 to 86. You brought Dr. J to Philly. The team got to the finals three times, came up short before winning it all in 83 once Moses Malone joined Dr. J, Andrew Tony, Mo Cheeks, and company, including new Hall of Famer Bobby Jones. He was part of the team too, certainly. How much fun was that 82-83 season and postseason for you, Pat? Well, it was a lot of fun. We went into that training camp with a with a absolute mission. You know, we'd come up short a number of times. Seventy seven we came up short, eighty got to the finals, eighty two again, couldn't get over the hump, and of course that summer, uh the arrival of Moses. So there was great optimism. Uh we went into that season and if there's ever such a thing as a perfect season in the NBA, that was probably it. No major injuries, no losing streaks very few close games you know we were we were crushing teams by big margins uh the players all got along and they all had one mission in mind and that was to erase the stigma you know of those finals losses and some of the other playoff losses yep and uh you you recall moses you know in his famous statement (laughs) oh fo fo you know we'll uh (laughs) Never, never quite know when he said it or who he said it to, but he definitely said it, setting the stage that uh, the, the uh, Sixers were going to be an awfully tough team to beat, and they were. 
city of Philadelphia exploded with joy. And uh, that's one thing about Philly, boy. They know how to celebrate their their titles. <laughs> haven't, right. had all, oh, yeah. haven't had all haven't had all that many, but when they hit, oh boy, the city erupts. Uh, and we'll ne- we'll never forget that uh, uh, finals with the Lakers in '83 and the tremendous joy, you know, that pervaded the Delaware Valley and uh, the fun we had. It was a beautiful time. Hey, Pat, can you take us back to that time a little bit? And and as the brain trust is sitting in the office and you and you know you've got to get this one guy to get over the hump, how, how does the conversation take place that, hey, Moses Malone is our guy and how are we going to get him? And what's the celebration like in that front office when you actually do get him? How, how does, quickly, kind of, how does that all take place? Well, I wish I could tell you it was a, a very well laid out uh, experience and everything went by like clockwork. That's not the case. Uh, I had gone on a tour to mainland China, you know, in August of that year. Julius Irving was on that trip as well. Uh, while I was gone, the Sixers sold and dealt uh, Daryl Dawkins to the Nets. And suddenly uh, there was a, a moment. We don't have a center. <laughs> we don't have a center. Uh, what's it, what's it going to take to get Moses? Well, Moses was out there as a free agent, but everybody knew the price tag was going to be absolutely a strangler. But Harold Katz, the owner, said, let's go find out. Let's pursue it. And so they tracked down uh, fast, tracked down uh, Lee Fentress, who was Moses' representative, found out what the price tag was. $13 million package for five years. Strangling number. Mm-hmm. Back today, that, today that would pay the the ball boys. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, so uh, Moses came to Philly and Billy Cunningham wanted to meet with him and find out how Moses felt and how he was going to work with Dr. J and that satisfied Billy, Moses simply said, this Doc's team, this Doc's team, I'm here to help Doc get a title. Billy felt good about that. But there was one other hurdle, and that was, back in those days, you had to compensate the team that lost the player. And if you couldn't work that out, then the commissioner would make the decision. So uh, we, we presented to Houston a package of Caldwell Jones and, and a future first. Hated, hated to uh, give up Caldwell. Everybody was sick, including Moses, who said, I'm not going to sign. I, I, uh, uh, but part of the reason I came here is to play with Caldwell. Huh. And there we sat. Well, I called uh, Harold Katz up at his office. I said, Harold, you, you need to get down here immediately. And sit in a meeting here because we got a we got a problem. Moses doesn't want to sign, and uh, because he he doesn't want to lose Caldwell. Well, Harold came down and explained to Moses that the whole thing would go kaput if he didn't agree. And so finally, we got him calmed down and uh, made the announcement. Well, it was a big deal, and and across the sports world, it was just flabbergasting. Thirteen million dollars for one player in a in a contract? Oh, nobody could believe it. 
and and the sense was that the, the, the sports world has gone absolutely insane. You know, what's going to become of sports after that deal? Well, anyway, Moses was terrific, as we all remember. You know, he was absolutely superb. Played every game. Uh, hard-nosed. Brought his uh, lunch pail every night. Banging the boards and scoring when he needed to. And he was something. He was right then, at that point right in his heyday. And uh, he had something to prove, too. He had come up short over the years. And it was important to him to to get a ring. So we all know the outcome. Uh, swept the Knicks. Lost one to Milwaukee in round two. People forget how good the Bucks were. And then came the Lakers, and uh, we took them out in four. Oh, that was a joyous time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Hey, Pat, uh, we're going to jump around all over the place here. I want to ask you, what did it mean to you to go into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2012 as the John Bunn Lifetime Achievement Award recipient? Well, that was a great honor. Uh, John Bunn was a legendary coach, and that award was for longtime service, contributions to the game of basketball. I felt very humbled when you look at that list of people that have, have received that honor in the past. I just uh, had a hard time... Uh, trying to slot my name in there. But I, I did feel very humbled, and, and it was a great uh, great honor for me. I I still rejoice over that, that they thought that uh, highly of me to uh, present that prestigious award to me. Awesome. Hey, Pat, I wanted to ask you, um, I'm bouncing around, as Chet said, in, in the um... – 1984 NBA draft with the fifth pick, you guys took a guy named uh, the Round Mound of Rebound. And I understand there's a story for who later became Sir Charles to most, that Charles Barkley showed up somewhere in the 290-pound range, and you guys had a meeting with him, told him he had to lose weight, and he came back and he weighed 290 pounds. Is that a true story, and how did that play out? Well, it was. That was a, a very, very significant draft. We had the Clippers pick from a previous trade. We had sent Lloyd Free out to San Diego, got their future first way down the road. Well, the road finally arrived, and we ended up with the pick. And for the entire season, uh, we were going to be in the coin flip with the Western winner. That was before the lottery. And, of course, we all know that Olajuwon was coming and Michael Jordan was coming. It was going to be a special draft. But uh, at the end, the Clippers won and things. And the next thing you know, we're picking five. We're very disappointed with that. However, there was this unique player down at Auburn. Jack McMahon, our scout, had seen him. I once asked Jack, I said, Jack, how do you describe him? And he said, a ball-handling Wesley Unseld. <laughs> wow. If you can picture that. Yeah, and uh, and uh, Charles came in, uh, you know, well before the draft. We were yes, we were concerned about his weight, two hundred and ninety-two pounds, and he was only listen. Charles was about six four, maybe six four and a half, with thick sneakers, maybe six five, and and uh, we knew we knew his skills, but we said Charles, we're concerned about this weight. And, and, son, you've got to get in shape. Hmm. And he said, Mr. Williams, uh, don't you know that round is a shape? <laughs> and I said, Charles, listen, 
we've got about six weeks before the draft. I want you to go down uh, to Auburn, back home, back to school, and start eating from the seven major food groups. And he called me about a month later. He said, Mr. Williams, there are only two left. (laughs) So anyway, we said, Charles, on your way to the draft, you've got to come back through here. So we uh, we checked his weight again. Two ninety two. I, I guess we should have been. I guess we should have been encouraged that he he hadn't gotten heavier. <laughs> so on the night of the draft, it went Olajuwon, Sam Bowie, Jordan, Sam Perkins, and there he was. We took him uh, in all his glory. Well, he came to summer camp up at Princeton. Uh, without a contract, and uh, he was terrific that summer, that week in Princeton. He was terrific. We felt good that we really had a great talent. And as it turns out, uh, the weight with Charles was never an issue. He he spent most of his career playing in the, oh, I don't know, 250 to 260 range. And boy, could he do things on a basketball court that, we've never seen before, maybe since. Mm-hmm. You know, up on the board, he could, he could leap. He had great hands. He could dribble the ball. He could bring it up court. He'd pass it brilliantly, dunk it. He was not a great outside shooter. Now, today, you know, they'd, they'd probably have him firing threes out there. But uh, he was multi-talented. Uh, there, was, there was nothing really that he couldn't do. And he was always defending guys who were probably six, seven inches taller. The Kevin McHales of the world. Mm-hmm. But he gave them as much trouble as they gave him. Oh, he was something. And, and he had now, a great career. And now we see him, you know, every night you know, on TV, and now during the NCAA, how about those commercials? You know, Charles <laughs> yeah. is there with a, with, a, with a parrot on his shoulder, and, uh, I mean, one thing after another. I, I think you could describe him as, a, oh, an entertainer, fun guy, outspoken, doesn't hide, doesn't matter. There, there is not a speed bump between his brain and his tongue. <laughs> There's no speed bump. I mean, whatever whatever he is thinking, it's going to come out. Right. Yep. I think that hey, I Pat. think that's part of the I think that's part of the reason why my fans enjoy watching him so much. They're they're going to get a full dose of Charles every time. Mm-hmm. Hey Pat, we got a bunch of other questions we want to get to, so I want to switch it up. And we we got to get to your book, and I'm going to lead into that by you know mentioning the fact that, and I probably shouldn't admit this. I'm pretty sure I haven't read a hundred books in my life. You've written a hundred. I think you've written at least at least four on the great John Wooden, who happens to be one of Bill's all-time favorite human beings. So, what made Coach Wooden so much of a source of inspiration for you? Well, you're right. I, I did write. I uh, have, have, have written four books about Coach Wooden. Uh, he was very gracious to me in the closing oh, 12 years or so of his life. He lived till 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was always so generous with his time to to everybody. And uh, he was uh, never in a hurry. If you wanted to go visit him in Encino, California, at his condo, he would always be there waiting for you, you know, on, the, on his balcony, wave, waving you to the elevator. And uh, 
had time for everybody. He was a he was a bitter, tough competitor as a coach. Did things at UCLA that uh, that we've never seen before in college sports. Seven straight titles, ten in twelve years, eighty-eight game winning streak. I mean, remarkable. But more than that, uh, there was so much more to Coach Wooden. He was very intelligent. He uh, he had great wisdom. You know, just from his life experiences, uh, well-read, uh, kind, interested in other people. Billy Packer once said he's the most humble, famous person I've ever met. <laughs> and and that, would be a good, that would be a nice tribute. Uh, a one-woman man. Uh, he and Nell had a, a unique relationship. She died before him by a number of years, and he took him a long time to get over that. Every month, he would uh, write her, a, send her a handwritten note, uh, put it on her side of the bed uh, with a ribbon around all of the notes. I, I once got a peek of that, and there they were. I mean, it was a big stack with a big ribbon around them, all these notes that uh, Coach had written to Nell after her death. He uh, he was just one of a kind, and I'm so glad that he lived to that late age, because most of his almost all of his writing came uh, from his mid 80s on. If he had died at say 84, we would be deprived of so much of Coach Wooden because of his books. Anyway, I wanted to dive in and really. Uh, study Coach Wooden in depth, and over the course of those four books, I was able to do that. And uh, they're still in print. Uh, they're still out there. You can go up to Amazon and check out those four books on Coach Wooden. And uh, no matter what field you're in in Endeavor, you cannot uh, go wrong uh, studying the life of the great John Wooden. Well, hey, Pat, I wanted to ask you, if you look through, as I was looking through your list of books, so many of them are on leadership and, and that, and, I, and I've and i started reading your character carved in stone, your present book, it is outstanding at, uh, so far, and I'm sure it's going to be the rest of the way. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book, how, how that idea came, and, and also, uh, what what is the leadership idea, where did that come from that you have written about so many leaders from Wooden to Lombardi to Walt Disney and many others. Well, let me take one uh, one of those topics at a time. Um, I, I've always been, even though I didn't really realize it, in positions of leadership. I, in, in school in Wilmington, I was a quarterback in football, a catcher in baseball, point guard in basketball, the leadership positions. Uh, played I was a catcher at Wake Forest for four years. Uh, spent two years in the Phillies system. Nobody was talking about leadership then, but it was happening, and uh, I was observing it, even though I didn't realize it. And then at the age of 24, the Phillies sent me to Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, the home of Zion Williamson, by the way, and uh, I was there to be the general manager of their farm club in Spartanburg. Well, uh, that was my first real jump into a leadership position. And boy, did I uh, learn on the fly. 
when I moved to Orlando here after uh, GMing the uh, Bulls and the Hawks and the Sixers, uh, Orlando was really beginning to emerge as a convention city, big time. And I began getting invitations to speak in the corporate world. And then you have a pre-call with them. Well, what, what would you like me to talk about? And inevitably it would be, uh, talk to us about leadership. Well, I didn't really have a, a, a good talk. So it forced me to really study leadership in depth and try and figure out what are the qualities of great leaders, what they have, so I could make a, a good presentation to these corporate corporations and uh, eventually I was able to do that and kept building and adding. And so that's basically how I got into it. Now, uh, we go from there to two, maybe three years ago, I was invited to West Point to speak to the sports teams there, the Army men and women's athletic teams. And when I was finished, they took me on a tour of the campus at West Point. A very moving experience, by the way. We ended up at a little park called Trophy Point, looking out over the Hudson River. Beautiful. And I noticed in this park there was a bench, a stone bench, which isn't unusual, but I kept looking, and there were more of them. I counted there were 12 stone benches. And then I looked really closely, and I noticed that there was a word on that first bench carved into the stone on both ends. And that prompted me to look at other benches, and there was a different word carved into them. Twelve benches, twelve words carved in there. And my thought was, there's got to be a backstory here somewhere. Well, sure enough, there was a backstory. And here's what it was the West Point class of 1934, on their 50th class reunion in 1984, presented those benches to the school as a class gift. And based on the experience of these men in World War II and the Korean War, which they fought in, they came to the conclusion that these 12 words on those benches were the key words that they have learned that were essential uh, to uh, being a leader in any field, including the military. So that was the backstory. And then, and then I thought, boy, this has been a well-kept secret. And uh, I went to the publisher and I said, I, th I think we've got something pretty special here. We could do a chapter on each of the, one of these words and then try and find a West Point graduate who best models that particular word. Uh, let's try and see if Mike Krzyzewski, a West Point grad, will do the foreword. Well, it all happened. Uh, we did the book as we wanted, and Coach K did the foreword. And uh, the end result is it's, this book is out. It's called Character Carved in Stone. Uh, it's in bookstores and up on Amazon. And we're very encouraged by the early start to the book. Yeah, the book is Character Carved in Stone. You can get it, as you said, on Amazon and elsewhere. And speaking of books, I just want to mention before we wrap up here, I talked with Chris Wheeler down in Clearwater last month. He speaks very highly of you, by the way. And he well, good a couple friend, of things. good friend. Yeah, he mentioned a couple of things about you. First of all, that you, for many, many years, would go to Philly's Dream Week, or Fantasy Camp, as it's now known. But he also said that among your many books is one containing hundreds of clean banquet jokes that Wheeler uh, has borrowed from liberally over the years. He says he uses those jokes all the time, and he thanks you for that. Well, Chris is a dear friend. And, yes, uh, I've had a good friend for years in uh, 
Lancaster, Pennsylvania. His name is Ken Hassar, and uh, we have this interest in collecting. I've had the interest collecting one-line humor, and for 40, I don't know, well over 40 years, we've just been collecting and sifting and categorizing one-line humor, clean one-line humor uh, that uh, you can apply and use anywhere based on the occasion, and we continue to do that. So, and th- and this book has been helpful to people out there who might have speaking assignments, and people can go check that one out on Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, good for Chris. And then, of course, for, um, oh gosh, when I moved to Florida here in 1986, I, I did go over to the Phillies uh, Clearwater Camp uh, for the better part of, well, it had to be, I don't know, 15 years, every wow. every January, and and caught none of those old the, the old ball players wanted to catch, but I I did, and so I'd strap on the tools and and catch the entire games, you know, where the big leaguers are playing against the campers, and uh, I I felt like a well it was my one shot at being a major league catcher, <laughs> so uh, I still have wonderful memories and friendships uh, from all those years doing that. Very good. Well, Pat, we have run out of time. Uh, we do want to say again that all of your books, I guess, can uh, can be had on Amazon, right? And then I know if you Google, you can get a list of all the different things that you've written. And uh, we certainly would enjoy the time, and we want to try to get you back again because there's so much more to talk about. I, I actually wanted to ask you uh, about your, was it is it 19 children? But we kind of ran out of time. Well, I'll be back in the fall if you want the next book coming out. It's called Lead Like Walt. Uh, when I moved down here 33 years ago, I got Disneyized, became fascinated with the life of Walt Disney himself. And so this will be the third book that we've written about Walt. And in this one, we um, look at Walt under the narrow focus of leadership. So uh, that book will be out in October, and uh, uh, maybe we can chat at that time. I'd love to. We definitely will, definitely will. And I want to mention, Pat, a shout-out to Andrew and Jocelyn, who work with you down in Orlando. They were both extremely helpful in setting your visit up with us. A couple of great people you got working for you down there. Well, I appreciate that very much. And stay tuned tonight. We'll have a lot more news about it at 10.30, (laughs) about what's going to happen with the playoffs. I know the Sixers are eager to find out, you know, who their opponent will. I think all the teams are. So uh, so they can start preparations, and then uh, the playoffs start this weekend. So if this is a good time. The Masters, NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. baseball in its early stages. And it's great to be a sports fan, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. Indeed. Okay, guys, take care. All right, Pat, appreciate your time, my friend. Bye-bye. Thank right. you, bye-bye. Great fun talking with Pat Williams. And speaking of great, let me tell you about the Irish Rover Station House. They really do have an amazing variety of food and drink, a terrific menu, plus lunch specials, dinner specials, happy hour specials, killer burger Thursdays, and always 24 beers on tap. And now with baseball season here, there are Phillies specials whenever the game is on Monday through Friday, two and a quarter Bud Drafts, $4 Goose Island Drafts, and the Rover's Stadium Dog Menu. This Saturday night, the 13th, the dance band Off the Grid is there. 
It all happens at the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne. Visit their website, irishroverstationhouse.com. And hey, can you believe it was 44 years ago this week that Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic came out? Walk This Way, part of that great album. 44 years. I wasn't even born yet, Chad, at that time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, hey, hey, Chad, I know we ran That's over with... I remember with, when that came out. My God, we are old. Uh, I know we ran over on our time with Pat, but, man, was that was that awesome. That's right up there probably with uh, our top guests in our, what, 231 shows. And I have literally about 25 other topics or questions that I didn't even get to. So, yeah, he's coming back in October for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, uh, for those that don't know, Pat will be 79 years old in May. So uh, yes, he will. he's been around a long time and done an awful lot of stuff. Really cool. I'm oh, glad we were able to, to do this. Yeah, catcher in the Phillies minor league system. He caught Bob Feller and Bob Gibson at, you know, in various stages. And uh, he's run like 58 marathons, including finished them, including one at age 70. So much we could talk to him about, and he's coming back in October. Absolutely. Hey, Chad, it's random Q2 time. I think this is week 10, right? Explain the process. Ask away. I'm ready. Let's get it done. I know you're sad. It is a sad night because, yes, it is the 10th and final week of our third season of random Q2. You know the drill by now, 10-week series, blah, blah, blah. All right. Question one, Bill. The Masters tees off in the morning in Augusta. How much of a golf fan are you, and how much of the tournament might you watch this weekend? I will put it on. Um, around the house. I don't really sit and watch it much, but, you know, if I'm watching the Phillies and the Phillies end, and then I'll flip over and watch it. Uh, but I'll tell you what, golf is better when Tiger Woods is in it. I think uh, I think we all know that. Uh, if he's competitive, it makes it makes golf a better game. So I'm not a uh, I'm not an uh, avid follower, but I know enough about what's going on. And those guys are just great. I mean, they're just great yep. players. And you're in the same boat as me. I'm a very casual fan. All right, for your second question, Bill. Well, all that's left is number four. So pick a number between three and five, and it's got to be in right in the middle. Let's go with four. Hey, there you go. And this will probably be, and this, as it turns out, this is going to be your least favorite question. Just worked out that way. But here it is. Bill, I saw about 40 movies from last year in the theater. I know you are not a huge movie guy, so I will ask you to jog your memory. What was the last film you saw in the theater? And please don't tell me it's that awful one you saw two years ago when I asked you this very same question. What was the last movie you saw in the theater? Um, I forget what I told you two years ago, but that's the last one. <laughs> really? Well, I have not been in the movie theater in um, I could not even tell you how long. Well, I'll tell you what it was. Since you remember, it was the awful Fifty Shades of Grey that you saw with your wife. Uh, there you go. That that was it. <laughs> All right. That was it. And that is it. That is it for Random Q2 for this year. But we're going to do it again next year. All right. Well, you never know if uh, things might get flipped around on you, so be careful. Yeah. Hey, Jay, All right. We mentioned the Sixers uh, stumbling away. You know, I don't know what to think of this. They're, you know, they're not getting their 52 wins that you – you uh, predicted. Now they're not playing with anybody tonight. Um, you, had, I, I know this bugs you too, and and the fan base is losing a little faith. Looking at these uh, social media things, they're losing faith in this team. They're losing faith in Brett Brown. I'm not sure this is his doings, but uh, what do you make of it? I don't know, Bill. I really don't know. I'm a little disappointed because 
I really wanted them to try to gel and get things, you know, cooking, heading toward the playoffs. And I don't like the way things came down the stretch with everybody sitting out and, you know, having some minor injuries. They only played the 10 games together, and that's not a good thing. So, boy, I, I don't know what to expect going into the playoffs now. So I, I'm a little worried, i got to be honest. I did want to say to you, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan and not a believer in flipping the switch. I don't care if you're playing at the high school level. You can't just flip a switch. It doesn't work that way. And that's what worries me about this approach more than anything. And, and as we thought it would get – they would get more time together down the stretch. They've actually gotten less time together down the stretch. So yeah, that, that tonight, certainly bothers me. Yeah, tonight, of course, they're starting, I don't know, some, some guys that they brought in off the street because all five starters are being rested tonight, and that's not a good thing. No. And, and you know, and I tell you what, just as we were talking about with Pat, his Orlando Magic team comes in hot. The Sixers come in flat. You know what? You might be watching the rest of the playoffs. You've got to be careful here. Yeah, you do. And I think I found the interview. I have to play it a different way, but I think I can play it through my uh, audio board right here. So if you're ready for Sarah, you, shall we give it a shot? Just to let everybody know, you, you talked to Sarah just a, an hour or so ago before the show. So this is yeah. uh, pretty current, right? Yeah, 530 we talked because uh, she got a last-minute assignment to go up to Brooklyn because, uh, you know, that could be one of the Sixers' playoff opponents. So – she got sent up on uh, a train to Brooklyn early this afternoon, and we had to postpone our interview by a couple hours to 5.30 or so. So uh, we talked then, and here it is. Joining me to talk 76ers basketball from Philly.com, and this evening talking to us from beautiful Brooklyn, Sarah Todd. Sarah, how goes it? Uh, it's going pretty good. I'm looking forward to finding out some results tonight. Yeah, Sarah, you were on with Bill and me just about a year ago. It was actually right after the Sixers eliminated the Heat in the opening round of the playoffs, and they were getting ready for the series with the Celtics. This time we're talking in the early evening on the final day of the regular season, and the third seed of the Sixers still don't know whom they'll be hosting this weekend. Is that a concern for Brett Brown and company? I don't really think so. I mean, all of these NBA teams have enough information. Their scouting departments have put together packages for any possibility. So whether it's the Nets or the Magic, I don't think that that's really a problem for the team. i got to be honest. I'm a little worried. It's been well documented that the Sixers starting five has only gotten together, the five guys, you know, for ten games. Yet rather than having them in the lineup together down the stretch, the team has opted to rest one or two of them several games recently. All five of them tonight. Is this a wise approach or not? I guess as far as health is concerned, you definitely want guys like J.J. Redick hasn't had much rest this season. You know, and he's one of the older guys on the team. He definitely wants to have his legs underneath him going into the postseason. And Joel banged up a lot in the last few games that he did play, um, most notably against the Bucks a few nights ago. And those guys, definitely, you'd want to see them have their legs underneath them. As far as looking forward and knowing that the team doesn't have a lot of time to make chemistry or to generate that sort of gelled-together feeling, that is definitely concerning. And the Sixers really don't have a way out of that situation. They're just going to have to deal with it. And I don't think you know, one game, this final game, if they were to play together, that was going to make it the difference. All right. So the Nets have played the Sixers pretty tough this season. The Magic, meanwhile, have won 21 of their last 30 heading into the season finale. Which of those teams would be the more desirable opponent for the Sixers? I think the Magic would be more desirable just because they don't offer the same kind of threat that Brooklyn does. Brooklyn 
is, you know, the more likely candidate that's going to be facing the Sixers in the first round, hence why I'm in Brooklyn tonight. But um, they do offer some problems, especially with how many guards that they can play live off a dribble and, you know, their spread pick and roll. And that's been the Sixers' biggest problem this season is defense against those kinds of teams. Without knowing the Sixers' opponent, what is the key for playoff success? You mentioned defense. What about bench player contributions, coaching, all of the above, something else? Uh, I think it would be a mixture. I, I know that there's a lot of talk about the bench being not great for the Sixers, and that's absolutely true, and there's merit to those arguments and it, ha- it being a troublesome area for them in the playoffs. But those bench minutes are really going to shorten up in the postseason anyway, so it's really about getting your main guys going and having them play strong throughout the postseason. But the biggest thing is defense. They've been pretty mediocre throughout the season, and we've seen nights where – Ben Simmons isn't as active as we think that he would have been on the defensive end, and especially Jimmy Butler. You know, he came to the Sixers lauded as a defensive player. We've seen it in the past from him. He has the ability to be a great defensive player, but he's taken a lot of plays off during the regular season. So those guys really have to step up on that end of the floor. We mentioned the bench and the rotation there. That is the big mystery. We know it's Joel, Jimmy, Tobias, J.J., and Ben starting, but who who are the guys going to be coming off the bench that are going to be asked to contribute, you know, 15, 18 minutes a night? Yeah, that's uh, it's funny because somebody should be able to answer that question, but I don't <laughs> think that there's many people that could. And we know that Mike Scott's going to have time. Ennis could be out for the first three or four games of the playoffs. He would be expected to come in and do that. I would expect they're, they're going to be playing a lot with Jonah Bolden because they're going to have to have some options behind Embiid or a small ball lineup that is not Boban Marjanovic. It's, no matter how lovable he is or how good he is, like really centrally in the post, he can't keep up with guys. His lateral movement isn't enough when it's going to come to the postseason. Yeah, I agree. All right, Ben Simmons. I know Fox Sports Radio guy Colin Coward is something of an anti-Philly guy, or at least so it seems, but the other day he named Ben Simmons the NBA's least improved player. I know his stats aren't drastically different from last year to this year. I know he's still not a threat as an outside shooter, but is that a little harsh, or is there something to it? I think there's definitely something to it. I mean, if you're looking at some of the top-tier guys in the league and those are the ones that you're picking from, least improved of all NBA is definitely a little extreme if you're picking from the 300-plus players in the league. But there's something to it because we haven't seen him develop any sort of a reliable jumper. You know, there was one outside shot that shocked the nation. And like I said, he hasn't really taken any huge leaps on the defensive end. And so – if anything, we've seen him stay exactly the same and then in some areas digress. Yeah. Well, the big question, I guess, is, you know, will Magic Johnson actually help him this year now that Magic's, you know, out of his uh, job? Uh, do you think they will get together, and could Magic Johnson help him? Uh, I'm sure that he could give him some pointers. I mean, as far as being similar in size and position and what they were able to do on the court, it'd be hard to imagine anybody – wanting to help Ben and not saying you have to get a jumper because that's really the thing that's going to open up his game so much. He has so much potential, and he's so gifted already on the court and everything that he does. If he just was a little bit of a threat from outside, it would really open things up, not just for him, but for the rest of the team. Hey, a big topic on Sports Talk Radio in recent weeks. If the Sixers don't make it beyond the second round, will Brett Brown be back as coach? Do you have any thoughts on that? 
I'm not sure which way it would go. I could see it going both ways and giving him one more year considering the turnover and the changes that the team had in midseason with both the Jimmy Butler and the Tobias and Bowen trade. I definitely think it will be a discussion, uh, especially if it's uh, a quick second-round exit like it was last season. I think that would make it even more of a discussion if they take a series to seven games or a really tough six games. It'd be less so, and, and that really shows you what kind of a delicate balance it's in because we're talking about the difference between one game in a series maybe making the difference on a discussion about Brett Brown's job. If it's a quick five-game exit, then we're definitely going to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what happens in the next few weeks, the team will have lots of personnel decisions to make, several free agents, the biggest names being Butler, Harris, and Reddick. Who's back next season or who's likely not? I think there's definitely a chance that they're going to try and go for all of them. Um, I think probably highest on the priority list is getting uh, Tobias and J.J. back. Uh, I think that Tobias is kind of an insurance policy on the possibility that Butler could walk. Um, I think if they could keep all those guys, they would. You know, that's a lot of talent to have on one team, and with more time, you could, you know, hope that they would even create more chemistry and be a more cohesive team. I think that in order it would be Tobias. J.J., and then Jimmy. You know, we barely even mentioned Joel Embiid. Is he healthy? Is he ready to go? Is he going to have a big playoff series? I think he's going to be ready. He's taken a few hits and had, um, you know, some back tightness and a sore knee, um, but mostly his days off have been about load management, and he's not fighting that, and I think it shows a real maturity level that he's had compared just one year to the next. Last year he didn't want to take any time off. He was complaining on social media about being out of the uh, first couple of games of the playoffs with a face mask, and a broken face, actually. And this year he's like, I want to be healthy. I want to make sure that I can play for the whole playoffs. And so I think we're going to be seeing some big things. Last question, Sarah. Before you got the Sixers gig a couple of years ago, you covered the Warriors for a few years. Is Golden State still the team to beat? Absolutely they are. And I was one of the ones that – was doubting them up until the day that I covered the 2015 championship. And then from then on, it's been it's been them and it's kind of the same way as when LeBron was in the Eastern Conference. Until they're beat, they are the one to beat. Follow Sarah Todd on Twitter, at NBA Sarah, Sarah with an H. Great to talk to you again, Sarah. Enjoy the playoffs. Thanks a lot, Ted. Hey, nice job, Chad. Sarah, Sarah's on it. Does, uh, does a great job. Yeah, she really does. All right. Hey, Chad, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you, Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. Very true, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an Allstate Insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what is most important to you and your family. Call Dave today, 610-430-0700. That's Allstate Insurance and Dave Lavoie, 610-430-0700. And, Bill, let's switch a happy 60th birthday to Brian Setzer of the Stray Cat. There you go. There you go. Well, hey, Chet, uh, I wish we could say happy birthday to the Phillies bullpen, but uh, this team is really good. The, obviously, there's concerns there. David Robertson, Sir Anthony Dominguez are struggling out of the shoot. They try to change it up a little bit with Hector Neres, and, and last night they just blew up. Uh, 
No assigned roles again, it looks like, and uh, this is not a good thing. Yeah, I'm becoming less and less of a fan of the bullpen by committee approach. Sir Anthony one day, Hector Neris one day, Pat Neshek Monday night. He got it done, but it was a little shaky. At Dubre Ramos the next night because they wanted Neris to go two innings, I guess, but it took him 30 pitches to get out of the eighth, so they had to go to Ramos. And none of them is making me feel real confident. I texted you after the eighth inning last night, Bill, saying, you worried? Because I was, and sure enough, they let one get away. They did two outs, two strikes, and they, and you give up a home run to to you know, and that that's bad enough. But then you go to Alvarez, you know, and he just got shellacked, giving up six hits and four runs, and you end up blowing a six-one lead and losing ten-six. That's not good. But on a good note, Ted, this team can swing the bats, and uh, we're we're going to have a lot of fun as we see with Harper, Hoskins, uh, Ramoto, Herrera's hitting, everybody's hitting. Uh, and even when the guys that are struggling a little bit, like McCutcheon, and uh, is off to a little slow start, along with Cesar, but everybody around him's hitting, and you can't can't even tell it. Yeah, I think Hoskins is going to have an all-star kind of year. He's really off to a good start like that, and it certainly helps having Harper in front of him and Realmuto behind him. Realmuto has been off to a slow start. He got the you know three hits the other night, but I guess at least two of them were infield hits. So. He'll come along. I'm not worried about the offense, but, yeah, the pitching still scares me. I'm not ready to say go get Craig Kimbrell, certainly not with the kind of deal he wants, but ask me in a week or two. That's right. Hey, and, Chet, remember, I told you this in a message the other day, If and, and, and we'll just go public and put it out here for everybody, all right? Yeah. That if Bryce Harper is going to get 100 to 120 walks, which uh, seems like a possibility, Reese Hoskins yeah. will be your MVP. Write it down i would not argue with that i told you hoskins is going to have a great year and i'm very confident not having a great year though bill chris davis he went 0 for 5 on monday to set a major league record for the longest hitless streak by a position player extending his drought to 49 consecutive at bats dating back to last year 0 for 49 bill that is not good yeah, and you know the crazy thing about that, Chet, you're, obviously it's not good, that it actually does go across two years. He's got no hits yeah. this year, but he finished last year with no hits. Holy cow. Well, he batted 168 for the entire season last year, and he's on a seven-year deal, which he's getting paid $17 million a year now, but he is averaging uh, over $20 million a year, something like $22 million a year, $17 million this year and next. Boy, that's a lot of money down the drain it's looking like. Yeah, and you know, if you look at his numbers just about five years ago, he was hitting 40, 50 home runs a year for three or four or five years. And that's when they locked him up, and he has done absolutely nothing since. And, you know, that's a, that's an anchor on the franchise is really what it is. Let me give you a better number, Six, 60,000, Bill. It was dollar dog night at the ballpark last night in Philly. $60,000 hot dogs were sold. Well, you know what? That should have been in the crap we missed, Chet. <laughs> oh, I got other crap. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance on winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia. From all the Philly sports teams and more, there are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are... 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. Hey, Chad, tell us who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable next week. You have the bar high after tonight. <laughs> 
I didn't even get to write this in my uh, you know printed out script because I just firmed up these two guys today. Paul Domowicz from Philly.com joining us. I think this is his third or fourth visit. He'll, of course, be talking Eagles because it'll be, I guess, eight days before the start of the NFL draft. So Paul Domowicz from Philly.com to talk birds. And then we're going to be joined live by Tyrone Johnson of 97.5 The Fanatic and NBC Sports Philly's Sixers Outsiders talking about hopefully the Sixers doing well in the first round of the playoffs and where they'll go from there. Well, hey, Chet, let's let's uh, warm this question up because we'll, we'll know, well, we only have a couple games in by next next Wednesday, but yeah, uh, Brett Brown, what's it going to take for him to keep his job or lose his job? Let's put it He's out gotta there. He's got to win at got? least two rounds. I think if he loses in the second round, as I asked Sarah about, I think he's gone. I don't care what you know what the situation is. I think if they don't get past the second round, Brett Brown is gone. That's just a hunch. Okay, we'll see. Hey, we've got about one minute. We're uh, so I wanted to hit you up on the NCAA tournament. Virginia won that in overtime. Uh, how'd you like the tournament this year? And uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of overtime games. What'd you think? I saw neither of the semifinal games Saturday night because I was out enjoying our pal David Wasikinen's In the Pocket at the Ardmore Music Hall, which was terrific, by the way. But, yeah, the Monday night final started off kind of slowly. The second half was great, and, of course, it went to overtime before we got a winner. It was fun. Congrats to Virginia and Philly kid DeAndre Hunter out of Friends Central High School. Impressive showing by the Cavaliers, especially after their shocking early elimination a year earlier. And, by the way, Bill, kudos to me because I was in an NCAA bracket challenge, and I finished 47th. Now, that may not sound impressive, but my goal was to finish in the top half of the standings, and there were 96 people in there, so ending up 47th, I made the cut. I'm setting the bar low, Bill, but... (laughs) There you go. Hey, hey, you know what, Chet? As long as you're happy, you're a winner. (laughs) Yes. Number 47. (laughs) There you go. All right. How about a parting shot for you tonight? I do not have one. Well, you know, Bill, we had such an action-packed show, we missed a lot of stuff. For we example, did. Jeffrey Lurie bought the Eagles 25 years ago last weekend. He paid $195 million. Some people thought he overpaid. Today the franchise is worth $2.8 billion. Those people were wrong. It was 10 years ago this Saturday that we lost Harry Callis. Glad he got to call that 2008 World Series title six months prior to his uh, passing. But we still miss Harry the K today. Even worse than the Flyers missing out on a chance to hire Joe Quenville as head coach, the news setting in that the team is raising ticket prices next season. Remind us again, when was the last time they've won a cup? You know. Uh, Eagles preseason schedule is out. Game two will be in Jacksonville. I believe the Jags have a new quarterback that Birds fans are familiar with, so we'll have a preseason game in August that may actually be worth watching. And speaking of quarterbacks, Bill, just like the American Alliance of Football itself, Johnny Manziel is no more. He announced on Monday that he is now John Manziel. File that last one under, huh, or who cares? Well, yeah, I'll go with who cares. I'll go with who cares. <laughs> hey, Chad, I, I do, since I do have 30 seconds here, i got a quick story for you. Yeah. Uh, talking about Jeffrey Lurie and, and the Eagles and so forth. Uh, we had a little conversation here at work, you know. Uh, we do a lot of work down in South Florida, and we said, you know, the Eagles are coming to Miami this year. Let's see if maybe we can get a box, get the company to buy a box, and we'll take a bunch of customers, and it'd be a really cool thing. So I took the lead to try to make that happen. Got a hold of the Dolphins. They called me back. 20 tickets, Chet. 20 tickets in a luxury box. 
uh, two hours before the game, an hour after the game, food, drink, and 20-game tickets, and parking. For a mere $35,000, Jet, you can be part of that. 35000 That was not for the season. That was for the day. So you that's like over 1500 a person? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think by the time you probably have to tip them, you know, you're right yeah. at two grand a person. You're going to be a that's two a grand a person. A yeah, so we're not, we're not doing that. We're not doing <laughs> that. But I guess that's why Jeffrey Laurie can have all that kind of money because that's the kind of stuff uh, they're doing. Eagles and the Patriots are their biggest games of the year. Those were the prices for those games. You could get the Jets and the Dolphins. Uh, Jets and the uh, Bills at a break of just twenty five thousand. <laughs> yeah, but who wants those? Come on. <laughs> there you go. So with that, we've reached the top of the hour. Let's thank our special guest tonight, Pat Williams and Sarah Todd. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge dot com, PPCC one one eight Raz Room, and Dave Lavoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, April 17th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcast on iTunes and TuneIn. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Ah!